Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, um, and good morning. We are glad that you're here. I hope that as uh, you are engaging in new habits and joining new gyms that you're not breaking their equipment. Um, <laughs> but it's good to be back, isn't it? You know, I miss y'all, like, you know, coming together, worshiping. And so, you know, really excited to uh, jump into uh, this new series um, because the reality is we go public with a lot of things. And, you know, some of the power in sometimes the problem of the era in which we live in in 2023 is that you can pretty much go public about any random thought that you have at any particular moment in time, especially with social media. And in fact, like we pretty much just want to say, yo, I found this new restaurant. Everybody needs to know about that. This is the place to go to or my new stylist that I got, oh man, she's so great. Or this is my favorite team and they're gonna win it all. Or this is my favorite player and they're the GOAT. We talk about and go public with those things that we are passionate about, that we love, that we enjoy. And we go public about what has had the most impact on our lives. That's just kind of naturally the the times in which we live. That which has made the most impact. We tend to want to broadcast and let other people know. Some some life hack, some some, some expert, some something that has had a transformational impact on us. Sometimes it's a graduation. It's a promotion. And yes, even a relationship status change. We tend to go public. And in fact... One philosopher last century, you know, came up with this particular musing, and they shared the following words. Say my name, say my name. If no one is around you, say, baby, I love you. If you ain't running game, say my name, say my name. You acting kind of shady. Ain't calling me baby. Why the sudden change? That song indicates the fact that we talk about what we love. And so I often wonder if Jesus is saying to us, say my name, say my name. Why the sudden change? (laughs) Y'all like, oh, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. I mean, but the reality is for many of us, it's hard to go public with our love for Jesus. And why is that? Why is it so hard to talk about our faith in Jesus in particular? Well, this has been a subject uh, that many researchers have studied, specifically the Barna Group, which is a, a, a group that does a lot of demographic data around faith. And look, look at what they said. They said almost all practicing Christians, between 95 to 97%, say that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus. Almost everybody agrees with that. 
across generations, boomers, millennials, Gen Z, everybody, Gen X. Yet despite this, many Christians are unsure about the practice of evangelism. They kind of shocked a lot of people when it found out that millennials, that's born, people born between 1984, y'all born between 1984 and 1998, many of you here, 47% of practicing Christians say it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they come to share in the same faith. Almost half. And digging a little deeper into that, we understand that part of the reason why is because there's an awareness that people are more likely to get offended today when we talk about Jesus and we talk about our faith than ever before. And so there's a, there's a wrestling with that. And probably most of us have had experience with some abrasive, offensive demonstration. I remember I was in college and there was this dude on campus named Preaching, Preaching Steve. And Preaching Steve would set up a little microphone and a speaker in the yard and as, every, as people was walking by, he would just yell out and condemn them and tell them how they were going to hell. I mean, it was wild. Like, it was like if uh, you had short shorts on and, you know, you was a fornicator. If, if there was two women walking, holding hands, then, you know, they were going to be condemned. If somebody had dreadlocks and they was a dude and they would say, oh, that's not what God has for you. You're not supposed to have long hair. I mean, it was, yes, Preaching Steve came at my neck, too. And... As a result, it drew a sense of anger, a sense of just, ugh, who wants to be around that? Nobody wanted to be preaching Steve. And Barna, what they found that there's two major reasons why many of us struggle with sharing our faith. The first is fear, fear of being judged, fear of being, making someone uncomfortable, of pushing, feeling like someone feels like you're pushing your beliefs onto them. That's the first one, that fear. The second is feeling underqualified or under-equipped. That seems like something just for the professionals, right? Like, okay, the best I can do maybe is say, hey, you know, maybe invite them to church and then let the preachers do the rest. Many of us can feel like, I don't know what to say if they ask me some question and stump me, and if I don't have the right answer, might I do more harm than good? Well, regardless of where we are on that spectrum, this series is designed to help us to go public. Without judgment, without fear, the realization is we all have things to learn, we all have places to grow, and we all have opportunities in front of us to experience the joy and the dynamic, life-changing reality of going public with our faith. Because check this out. Every single one of us in here is here because somebody went public with their faith. Somebody at some point decided to tell us some good news, and that caused us to be here. But you might be here, some of us, and um, this is the first time in a long time maybe you've come to church because of people like Preaching Steve that just turned you off. Maybe in their witness or in their politics or in their, and just even in your personal space at home, in your family, you have a preaching Steve. 
you're watching online or listening via podcast and you're, and you're checking out church, church from a distance because there's still a yearning, there's still a, a, a deep desire to connect with God, to connect with the divine, but you're wondering, can I do that without the drama and jankiness of people? And the good news is that you're in the right place. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to explore uh, the source of our hope, the source of our salvation, and what it looks like to truly go public with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the foundation of that which we believe. And it's the starting point. And that's why we're going to start with the gospels. And we're very intentionally going to look at how Jesus talked to people about these, this good news and, and, and what he did and what, he, what it looked like for him to, to model for us how to go public with our faith. And so we're going to look at, to start it off, John chapter 9 and look at what Jesus did. So I'm going to read a pretty uh, substantial passage, about 12 verses, because I want us to just kind of get the full picture of what it is that happened in this situation, in this story. And then we're going to go back and unpack that. All right, we ready? All right, let's do it. John chapter nine, verse one. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So this is a very interesting (laughs) story for a couple different reasons. The first is the whole thing gets started with the disciples asking Jesus this very uh, presumptive question. Who sinned that this person was born blind? Him or his parents? You see, in that time, the assumption was that if, if, if a child came out with any type of, of disability or, or something wrong or some illness would befall, then that meant that somebody was to blame, that God or if they were pagans, the gods were judging them and as a result were leaving them in this state. And even though that might seem harsh and just just seem completely distant, the reality is even today, many of us struggle with the same question. How come how can bad things happen to good people? 
And, and oftentimes when there's some tragedy that happens, our, our brains just kind of naturally go to trying to find an explanation. We saw this this week. For those of us who, who, who were watching uh, the Bills game and, and saw this hor- horrific injury uh, with DeMar Hamlin, and thankfully he's, he's alive and well, he's getting better. But immediately there was some that started to question, well, maybe that was a bad hit. Maybe it was, it, was, it was the guy who, in the collision, that did something wrong. Maybe it's the, the NFL. And, and so all of these questions, because we struggle with the mystery of life and why certain things happen. And so that is right there happening front and center. And the disciples are trying to figure out, well, who's to blame? And many times we rush to want to know who's to blame. And here's the thing about that that is still so relevant today because there's so much broken in our world. We know our world is broken, but we struggle to understand why and how to fix it. That's the reality of what we come into in the various situations. You might be experiencing something in your own life where you're struggling to figure out and understand how is it that this has happened. But Jesus's response is also fitting. He says it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Where they see condemnation, Jesus sees opportunity for for blessing, for healing, for restoration. And John uses this word even in the same verse. The next verse he says, so therefore God sent me to do the works of him. And then it says he sent us. Now, this word work appears in the Gospel of John more than three times as many times as it does in the rest of the New Testament. In the Greek, it's ergon. It's where we get ergonomics, right? This idea of working efficiently and effectively, effectively to do something. And so the key theme that John is trying to help us to understand is that Jesus is the one who does the work of God. And that Somehow his appearance is not meant to primarily come to judge, but to come to restore. Isn't that so different than how oftentimes people understand or perceive Christians in the message of hope? Not as a message of hope, but as a message of judgment. But then there's this other thing that Jesus makes clear in this situation. Because he sends the man to go get healed. And then after, that's when all the conversation starts. After he gets healed, after he gets to be able to see. And before we can go public with the works of Jesus, Jesus has to do his work in us first. And that's the point. And and it's so clear in the text because it, it makes it clear that he sent them to the pool of Siloam. And then in parentheses, because many of us don't speak Hebrew, it says, which means sent. Now, this pool was in the temple complex area in Jerusalem. I've actually seen it when I've traveled there, and it kind of flows uh, from the temple. And so they, when they would do their uh, ritual uh, water cleansing and things like that, they would use the pool of Siloam. It was believed to have purification abilities, and so that new converts to, 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 Ju- to, to Judaism, to, to, the, to the God of Yahweh, would, would immerse themselves in this pool and hope that things that were wrong with them were would get right and so Jesus (laughs) look at it so he sends them to the pool to wash off the mud to make a point that it was Jesus was the one that was healing them not the pool I'm greater than the pool that y'all all look to so Jesus sent him there 
But not only does he send them there, but it also is this dynamic picture of his own identity. You know, it's interesting that when you hear people, oftentimes I've been watching a lot of movies, I noticed that usually they use the name Christ as some type of, you know, exclamation of profanity, right? People think Christ is Jesus's last name. It's not a, a last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one. Anointed means sent one. Can I teach here for a second? So the sent one sent someone to the pool of sent so that he could be sent out. But even that, even that, even that, it goes deeper than this. See, when Jesus first announced the fact that he was the sent one, it was in Luke chapter four. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and it says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And watch this. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do y'all see what he just did there? He sent them to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, to let everybody know he was the sent one who was going to recover the sight of the blind. You see, there's always a purpose and a plan behind what Jesus is healing. And so now all of a sudden, this man who previously, previously was being looked at as condemned and must, he must have done something wrong in his life. Now it appears that Jesus is using him to show God's favor in his life and in ours. And maybe that's the same thing with us. We must experience the power of Jesus personally before going public. That's the starting point of going public. What is, what, what, has he done a work in you? Are you aware of what he's done in your life? If, he, if you're not, then don't say nothing. <laughs> don't go public. Like it, it, it should be that simple, but the reality is that there's always in different cultures and spaces uh, residual benefits that people can get for claiming the name of Christ without actually having experienced this power. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody that claiming Jesus don't know him. He said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some, I will say, I never knew you. So this is what is so, why we got to be so careful before we cancel Jesus because somebody who identifies as knowing him does something foul. Because Jesus said, not everybody that's claiming me really knows me. The other thing that's so important about experiencing the power of Jesus is because we become like what we believe in. This is what Jeff Vanderstelt has said in his book, Gospel Fluency. We become like what we believe in. You ever notice, and this is a perfect time to talk about this, beginning of the year, because some of us have just started on a fitness journey. You've hit the reset button on your health and nutrition goals. Now, December 31st, maybe on Christmas, your plate was looking all types of brown and gravy and carbs and meats and fats and all the things, but January 1st came around and you decided to get right. And now you go to the restaurant or to the store and you see somebody else ordering what you just would have ordered a week ago. And you're looking at them like, oh, gosh, there's so much refined carbohydrates on their plate. Oh, my gosh. Not enough macros. 
Not enough lean fat. <laughs> we do this, and, and so what happens is because we put we start putting pride in our ability to change, we get puffed up and start looking at other people different because we are what we believe. And I, I was like this, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. In fact, um, I used to think Christians were like the worst people. I used to just get into debates and argue and, and all this stuff. And what happened to me was I just thought I was senior class president. I was National Honor Society, voted by my peers as best role model. So I was like, I'm a good dude. And so then I found myself in a situation where two girls liked me at the same time. One was at my school, one wasn't. This is confession. And so I tried to be a player, but you can't be a player if you don't have game. So I got caught. And I remember the girl telling me, she said, you're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse because you think you're better than them. And she was absolutely right. And that was what God used to show me that my righteousness was like filthy rags. I became what I, I became like what I believed in, which was self-righteous. But look at the reactions. So, so we have to experience Jesus before we can go public with him. But then look at the reactions. It says the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were now saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. This is this funny conversation. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's me, y'all. It's me. And part of the reason why is that we get this aspect where he goes to the pool, he, he washes himself. And what's probably the first thing you do when you he has been born blind. He has never seen himself. Probably looked in the mirror. Probably cleaned himself up, got a shape up, got a fade, got some clothes, you know, and, and, and he shows up. And now all of a sudden people are like, who that? And they don't recognize him. And then he, and he said, well, who opens your eyes? And then he just calls out. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go and watch. He tells exactly what happened, and he received his sight. But then he also said, and then they're like, well, where is he? He's like, I don't know. And the thing I love about this story is at this point, the man is just telling them what he got. This just happened. He doesn't have a full explanation for everything. But when Jesus opens your eyes, you experience an extreme makeover that some people don't even believe. Some of us have experienced that, right? And they try to attribute other things to your transformation other than the fact that God changed your life. Is that not? Nah, that can't be Craig. Craig, that used to be going around messing around with all them people. That can't be him. Oh, man, he must, you know, it must be that new girl that he with. And, you know, she he's trying to get with her. So now he got his life right. And Craig is like, nah, man, Jesus made a change. You know, or or, you, you know, it, it's some something else that people attribute to some type of transformation. And they're asking, like, how sway? How is he different? And he's like, Jesus made the difference. Now, the other thing I just got to say parenthetically, who else would make spit with dust on the ground in their hand and then let and you would let them put it on their on your face? Like, I'm not going to try to demonstrate that right now, because that, that was that's just kind of <laughs> kind of gross. Right. But but 
when it's Jesus, you know, it's, it, and even this was significant because what it was drawing back from was this picture of how in Genesis chapter one, does God create man? It says that he, take, he created him from the dust. So now what this is showing is that Jesus is actually creator over the world and can use the same dust that, to make man, to, to heal man. Oh, yeah, this is the Jesus that we're talking about, the good news. So they take him to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And, and, and the Pharisees are, 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 are upset and they're offended by Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And so they, they challenge him. And, and, they, and everybody can't believe this because this has never happened before. In like human history, like no one has ever seen somebody be born blind, get healed. Sometimes people experience blindness and then, you know, that was something different. So then it says, in ver- so we're going to skip down to verse 24. It says, so for the second time, so they, they bring him back. Because they want, they, they, they're like, 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 this can't be what we think it is. This dude did not just heal a blind man that was born blind. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. They're trying to give him some heat. We know that this man, talking about Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> I love this. He's like, look, 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 y'all getting into all this theology, this, these debates about what could be, what couldn't be, all this hypostatic union. Is he 100%? Is he man? Is he God? Who was he? This is what I know. I used to be like this, and now I'm like this. <laughs> and Jesus did it. <laughs> you want to change the culture? Give them a different story. Tell them about someone who is willing to admit their faults, faults and their flaws, but who had an encounter with a risen Savior and it's changed your life. That is what changes the narrative. He couldn't debate a whole lot. And the thing I love about this, this is the same day evangelism. He, he, he got healed, he believed, and now he's out there and, and he's going public. And it's just all in front of him. And in fact, some of it, he didn't even ask for. It's just because of the change and the transformation that happened to him, it begged an answer. And we have to be careful because sometimes when, with our fear of not wanting to be too, you know, that weird, like, Jesus freak person, we will try to dumb down the spiritual, supernatural explanation for the change that's in us. Man, you seem so like the way that you handled that interaction at work where that person was just kind of like mansplaining to you or just, you know, being angry. At and it's like, what, what would cause that? Well, you know, you know, I've worked, done some work in my personal life and <laughs> done some healing. And we, we want to like kind of side. And, and the thing is, power demands an explanation. It demands an explanation. Be like, oh, yes, Jesus has done a work in my heart and life. Because in my old days, what I would have done, what I would have said, how I would have reacted, but God. (laughs) And so in the midst of this, he said, look, I was blind and now I see. That was his 30 second elevator pitch story. And it's one that we all have to have. Do you know your story? That's the second point. Know your story before going public. 
And it's, your, when I say know your story, it's, it's, it's how do you talk about what happened to you? That's different from the experience of it. It's, it's how you have come to understand and formulate how to communicate it to those who need to hear it. So, so look, let's look at what happens next. So he knew, he's told his story. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did, you open, how did he open your eyes? He answered him, them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And he's talking to the Pharisees now. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And now we start to see some of the tension. And this is what some of us get afraid of, right? We, we tell our story. We, we give a sense of a, a testimony. But then what happens with the pushback? And one of the things that can help us with that, to anticipate it and to plan for it, is to recognize something that they kind of gave away in their response. You see, when he was like, he, they were like, look, you might be a disciple of Jesus, but we're a disciple of Moses. <laughs> and here's the thing. Everybody is a disciple of somebody. Everybody is somebody's disciple. Now, in this particular case, they said they were they, they, they created this false dichotomy as if following Moses was was antithetical to following Jesus. And we know that's not true because Jesus will also say, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, but to fulfill the law of Moses, that Moses rejoiced in his day to see and anticipated a Messiah. All you got to do is look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. He said, another prophet will be raised up, one greater than me. He's talking about Jesus. And so the problem isn't Jesus or Moses. The problem is their own traditions, their own sense of power. They were afraid of what was going to happen when they lost the power because now all of a sudden there's someone who has greater authority than they do. But getting back to the point, whether it's, you know, whatever tradition it is that someone's following, everybody is someone's disciple. Oh, yes, we all got them. Some people, you know, they follow some influencer online. Some of you, look, this is who I go to for my answers. Jackie Aina, Sarah Jakes, the, some of you as music, musicians, Kanye West. We follow different people. Some people with political positions and perspectives and personalities. Everybody follows somebody. And so the issue is not are you going to be someone's disciple? The issue is whose disciple are you going to be? But it's important to know the competing narratives when going public. It's important to know the competing narratives. What do I mean by that? One of the greatest, you know, there's a, a line in, in, in Usual Suspects, uh, this old movie. It says, the, the greatest trick the devil pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And, and there's this reality to it that uh, we live in a, there's a predominant worldview, a predominant belief system. You can even say a predominant religion in America. And it is not Christianity. It's secularism. And what I mean by secular is a, is a perspective. I don't just mean the fact that there's no definitive 
official government sanctioned religion. What I'm talking about is a perspective that says the best way to understand the world in reality is without a spiritual explanation. That the best way to, to, to make sense of the world and how we are to live and to, to morality and, and our origins and, and what happens to us is to ap appeal to non-supernatural explanations. That is the world in which we live. And if we're not careful, we can buy into the fact that that's just kind of like the default honest position. And then I'm just being extra when I try to believe something. But in actuality, stay with me because I'm, I'm getting here somewhere, that once I recognize that everybody is a disciple, even if you're a disciple of Charles Darwin, even if you're a disciple of Richard Dawkins, even if you're a disciple of someone who has left the faith and said, I used to believe that and I am no longer, we all have some position of authority that we're appealing to for our ideas. And the, one of the false ideas with secularism is that there is a opposition between science and faith. You know, uh, recently the uh, James Webb telescope started broadcasting or transmitting these incredible images from outer space. And one of them was the Carina Nebula. And when you look at it, it looks like a painting. But this is like in the far reaches of space and, and there's this capturing that, that's happened. And so what ends up it reveals, right, is that this image is actually revealing the area around the birth of a star. That's what's happening there. Now, the thing that's interesting is that there was a time period where the consensus in the astronomical community was that the, the universe had no beginning. Now, all of these things were doing so in contrast to a theological explanation, right? Because, you know, it's like we want to get away from that. We want to create a, a, a story that doesn't have to appeal to a creator. So we'll just say everything was already created. But the problem is that the science started to catch up and challenge those, those very notions. So now the, the consensus has flipped, and now there's an understanding that the universe does have a creation. And as I look at that, and as I look at these stars, I just think of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, the earth and the firmament. And so there's this perspective where it's like, to me, I go, I go down and worship when I see this. There is no conflict between that, but if you listen to the narrative, so you have to understand what the competing narratives are. And we also have to understand that these, any appeal to, to reality that doesn't point us back to God leads to despair, leads to anxiety, and leads to isolation, which is exactly what we're experiencing a rise of today. And it leads to a perceptive, so many of us have been duped into thinking nobody wants to hear this anymore. We're the last of a dying breed. We're the last holdouts. But in the same research in which Barna saw that there's this uh, fear that most Christians have of sharing, in the same research, he said, you know where the people who want to have spiritual conversations congregate the most? In urban areas. More than in suburban areas, more than even in rural areas. You know the people who want to have spiritual conversations the most? People who have other belief systems. People who believe in other things. So there's an opportunity, but there's also a challenge. Last verse we'll look at in this story in verse 37. 
Now, what ends up happening is because the man gave the credit to Jesus and they didn't want him to, uh, they cast him out of the synagogue. And verse 37 tells us, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the Pharisees. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. One of the things that's so dynamic about this, there's a few things. One, it acknowledges the fact that he did experience some tension in his life. There was some conflict that emerged when he decided to acknowledge Jesus. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's not going to happen as we go public with our faith. But what I can tell you is that what happened next is even more significant. Jesus came and found him. Jesus will find us in our sense of despair, in our sense of even isolation. And you know what? He will give us everything that we need and more than what we lost. He then, he says to the man, he gives him an opportunity. Do you believe in the son of man? He's like, I don't even know. Remember, all he knew was there was a dude named Jesus. And he put mud on my eyes and I could see. And now he says, well, who is he? And he says, look look what he says. You have seen him. (laughs) The one who now you're looking at face to face. You just heard my voice before, but now you've seen me. The transformation of the power has happened. Is he who is speaking. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Expect to encounter Jesus in deeper ways when you go public. Expect to encounter him. Expect to experience a sense of dynamic that you could never have under, other, otherwise understood. Because this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that faith in Jesus rescues and restores us. Well, how does he do that? He did that through living a life in perfect, harmonious obedience with God. He lived it perfectly harmoniously with himself, with others and in creation. And he fulfilled all the purposes that God laid out for him. Do you hear how impossible that sounds? Living in perfectly and harmonious obedience to God? Yet how beautiful is it? His teaching and his healing restored people He makes them whole. He gives them hope and appreciate those who are on the margins, who are left behind. That's who his favorite thing were to go to those who were ignored. And yet all of that helps me understand the tragedy of his death even more. Because you see, he was accused of sins that he didn't commit, but that we do. He was arrested for crimes that he didn't commit by government officials. All the things that ought to happen whenever we break God's commandments happened to him instead. He was publicly humiliated, tortured, and executed, and willingly chose to experience death and was buried in a borrowed tomb. And as they say, they hung him high and they stretched him wide. And on a cross, he died. He was buried on Friday night. He remained there on Saturday morning, still was there on Saturday night, 
But as they say, early, early on Sunday morning, rose again with power. Not just power to raise himself up, but power to raise up us as well. And all who would believe in his name. Now we are empowered to overcome our worst impulses, our deepest insecurities, our lustiest desires to please ourselves at the expense of others and even sabotage our own lives by running from God instead of running towards God. That's the gospel. And he dispatches us to go and to make that story known and to shine that light to others and to help other people go from blind to sight, just as we are. The gospel is the good news that faith in Jesus rescues and restores us. Do you believe in this gospel? Now, being a believer does not mean or be, that we're claiming to be perfect. Part of going public actually means acknowledging your flaws and your faults and recognizing where you have fallen short because the beauty of who Christ is can't be seen as long as I try to puff my own self up as well. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus when we go public. A key component of that is show and tell. Y'all remember show and tell? When you were in kindergarten, you bring out a toy and everybody gets to see it and then you explain why that made such an important impact, why you brought that. And all too often, Christians are known for telling but not showing. But God tells us to show and tell, which means that your life should look like the truth that you proclaim. Don't go to work tomorrow and be the one that's late and cantankerous, ill-prepared, problematic in HR's office, and then be like, but Jesus. (laughs) Show and tell. And that's why we're going to be out. And this is not just with proclamation, but with demonstration as well. That's why we're going to be, that's why we do PMA, because part of Jesus's Rain, remember, what he announced himself was recovery of sight to the blind, but also proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. It's all encompassing. It's justice and righteousness. It's healing and wholeness and it's connection with God. It's a way of relating to others and to the divine and that is holistic and it's transformative and it's offered to us. Well, we're going to continue down this path for the next few weeks, and we hope that you go down this journey with us. And I also want to give a plug to the Wednesday night Bible study because we're going to be taking a deeper dive. This particular Wednesday, we're going to be helping folks understand and sift out your story and developing that story so that you have it locked and loaded when God presents the opportunity. But ultimately, we want to help you be prepared to be able to agree with the Apostle Paul, who said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. That is what we stand on. That is what we rest in. All we do is tell the story. I once was blind and now I see. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your gospel, for your good news, which 
changed our lives, is changing our lives. I pray for those who are here and considering this news, have never really heard it that way or put their confidence in it. And I pray that you would be stirring up hearts and minds. And that for those of us who have encountered you and have put our trust in you, would you help us to embrace our story and go public with it this week? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.